Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie, out of the greater Cincinnati area. Today's episode, we are going to be discussing how to navigate and what to watch out for with purchasing historical commercial properties which of course would by default be in somewhat of a downtown setting with other buildings around very close proximity so and I'm going to title this episode certain uncertainties and definite maybes with commercial properties especially of a historical nature there are many many unique things to take into consideration as an investor when dealing with one of these properties. First and foremost, make sure you have the right people working for you. Starting with, but not include, not, not limited to, your property inspector. Shop around. I suggest you do not just go with the cheapest commercial property inspector. You go with somebody who has extensive historical property inspection experience. With that, um, and I will say, the property that we're going to be talking about as an example is from 1870. That makes it 153 years old at the time of this recording and other properties and obviously since this is the greater Cincinnati area we're talking about Cincinnati okay one thing that they are not inventing any more of is property so if you have a historical property in the downtown setting you of course are going to have other properties in close proximity to it Now, the other people you want to have in your court, on your side, working for you, a good architect who's very familiar with build-outs of historical properties in in, 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 in that sort of setting. With that person is going to come a licensed structural engineer who can make decisions and calculations about different loads and so forth. for properties like this. What if you wanted to add another story? What if you wanted to take out walls? What if you wanted to install an elevator? These are all things that need to be considered with respect to the existing structure. All right, so let's let's just, I'm going to just kind of blow through some some things to, to make your time useful And I know everybody values their time. So I'm going to give you some very concentrated um, information that you may want to take notes about if you are new to this. Let's say you're plunking down over a million dollars on a property and you want to renovate it and turn it into condos, office suites, whatever it may be. Uh, And you're buying a property that you know has maybe some existing tenants on the storefront, uh, which would be the first floor, street, street level, okay? What are things that you need to take in consideration? Number one, parking. Are you intending your tenants to have a place to park? If so, 
make sure you understand the streetscape, the parking um, regulations, the parking logistics for your property. Is it in an area that has meters? Is it in an area that has designated parking areas that people in this area pay on a monthly basis and maybe they have a permit that they stick on their dashboard? Is your property eligible for that? I'm going to stay out of the investment part. That's up to you, your realtor, your your lender to talk about any tax abatements and other things of that nature. But those are things you're definitely going to want to take and put some time and due diligence into. Okay? Where do you put your dumpster for your renovation? Okay? Where's that going to go? Do you need permits for that? Of course you do. How will you deal with, in in a historic sense, your property, um, lead abatement perhaps, lead paint abatement in in your demo, meaning demolition, okay, tearing out walls, windows, etc. And the same thing goes for any asbestos type stuff. Um, For this particular property that we, we, we inspected, I can't say... There was a whole lot of visible asbestos-related type stuff, but I'm sure some of it's there. So that's something you have to take consideration of, and there's permitting and all that kind of stuff, depending on your municipal group you're working with. Okay. Um, There were existing businesses, storefronts, stores, restaurants, uh, uh, other uh, service delivery Uh, selling different services and with those on a storefront or street level okay you have compartmentalization when you get in the basement meaning sometimes you're going to encounter and this is where the name of this episode dealing with certain uncertainties and definite maybes when you're in basements like this sometimes the electric and the water supply and the gas piping crosses over into other basements that may not be directly beneath your um, particular, let's say the, let's say a convenience store is also next to a restaurant. And when you go in the basements, you see that the water main from your storefront that you're in crosses over and the disconnect may be in the uh, restaurant's basement. This happens because why? Because the property's from 1870. Well, what did it used to be? Well, what if it used to be a rooming house? What if it used to be a apartment building? What if it used to be a hotel? Then that storefront was actually just one lobby of the particular larger building, original single purpose that it had, and therefore compartmentalization was done after the fact. Maybe some stone walls were built to separate and, 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 and isolate different basements, but that doesn't mean that they moved the water lines. That doesn't mean they moved the electric. Well, of course, there wasn't any back then, but that doesn't mean that they moved things to accommodate those changes. So be prepared for surprises, those solar flare type calculations that you did not expect to take into to to put in your plan or your budget okay 
Um, some of those may be, for example, let's say you have five businesses on the street front, but when you're in the basements, you only find four electrical meters. Oh crap, where do you file that? I'm going to have to have another electrical main, and I got to figure out who's splitting the bill for for one of the electrical feeds coming in. How are we going to calculate that? <clears throat> the other thing you may encounter, what what if you have five businesses and you really want to have a cash flow as an investor where you have oh the upper floors are going to be condos and they're going to have their separate meters, separate water, separate gas, separate electric, but your storefronts already you're dealing with uh-oh just one water main coming in. So make sure you estimate for perhaps replacing that and accommodating different water mains coming in for different units or you're going to have to make a decision from the get-go that you supply water for all your tenants and that's a bill that you pay. It's it's hard to figure out and you're going to have to do the uh, the due diligence machinations in the background on what are the pros and cons of each and what is the cost. What is your cost benefit for that for sticking with one way or the other? Okay. For an 1870 building or any of the buildings downtown in in an older historical city, okay, anytime you're near a river, everything's built outward from the original inception of when that town was built, and therefore everything closest to the river is going to be the oldest. So you just kind of mushroom cloud out from there, uh, sort of like throwing a pebble in a river, or excuse me, a pebble in a pond, and those um, percussion rings you know, go out further and further and further as far as you, far, the further you get away from where the stone was thrown in. And, and that's the newer stuff is the furthest out and the oldest stuff is close to where the stone got thrown in the, in the pond, obviously. Okay. Um, for a lot of municipalities, when a property, real estate property changes hands, Um, If there is a lead water supply line, which this property did have, or does have, I should say, that needs to be replaced, okay? That's going to be a sunk cost, uh, depending on the size of of the pipe and the length that it has to go from there to, um, and how much digging to to the water main coming in from the street, um, that's going to be several thousand dollars, okay, regardless. So that's something you need to take into consideration. Uh, lead always needs to be replaced. Uh, didn't used to be, but after the Flint, Michigan um, descaling of the water supply lines from whatever chemical was dumped in from the EPA, that kind of changed things as we know it many years ago. Um, and, and a lot of regulations have changed. So make sure you understand the regulations in your municipality where you're investing for that property and what changes are going to be needed if you have a lead water supply line. Now, in this particular property, there were several different types of water distribution line. Now, of course, the upper floors being um, totally open and are going to be renovated, uh, that's probably going to be all packs or whatever is, is replaced and used to plumb all of that. However, 
what was found in the basement and used was the lead water supply line coming in, so that's your supply, and then your distribution was a combination of copper, PEX, CPVC, and galvanized steel. So, which of those needs to be replaced? Well, the galvanized steel, of course, and then a licensed commercial plumber is going to need to figure out where the strands of galvanized steel water distribution line exists because those rust from the inside out those do need to be replaced okay so that's something to take into consideration um, now most of the very slow moving inspection takes place in the basements there's a lot of stuff to see there's there's stuff you don't want to bump into uh, it can be dangerous in some of these older basements so you really need somebody experienced who knows what they're looking for with historical properties uh, we have been in some basements where there's arches i really enjoy seeing those those were just a sign of strength if you think about the st louis arch uh, being 600 feet long 600 feet high and the incredible strength and building and architecture um, and, and, and structural engineering calculations that were made to build that. Shrink that down to a smaller structure, arches and basements that hold up buildings. Uh, an arch, and that's why the Romans built the aqueducts. And if you look at any aqueduct pictures, they're all concentric, I mean, consecutive, serially connected uh, arches, one after the other, and they're still there. A lot of them in Spain and Portugal and Italy and other places. Okay, I digress. Um, so arches and, and, and foundations. So these, most of these places, for including this one, a lot of the walls are covered with a, with a uh, concrete uh, mortar uh, skim coat, but there's still some stone foundation areas exposed. Weeping is going to happen over time from different sides of the building. Connection between the sidewalk and the foundation. Always a good area to keep sealed. Making sure your curbing between the street and the curb, believe it or not, is well sealed. Making sure your sidewalk is not like a porous brick, loose brick connections, and therefore water can seep underneath, get in, and cause... Uh, cause the front members of, of each foundation wall to, to take on water and some of that wood can get rotted. Um, it, it's not like we see termites a lot. It's mostly powder post beetles and, and, and actually rot, which is a, a fungus that eats the wood because it's got water and it attracts the spores which eat the wood. So we want to keep water out of the basement as much as possible. So that's keeping all the areas well sealed. <clears throat> if there's a way to work with the city in front of your building to make sure the sidewalk is well sealed and you're not having all these porous areas, that would be a great thing. So check with that. Um, some areas in some cities are on streetcar lines. Cincinnati has that also. And on one side where the tracks are, uh, in front of the basement on the on the ceiling you're going to see some reinforce areas where they put in some some columns and then on top of the columns they put some very thick corrugated steel um, which looks like a zigzag if you if you look at the uh, profile of it and what I've seen in several places is this gets to have some rust some corrosion on it why 
because water is seeping in, sometimes these nice decorative uh, downtown landscape or streetscape, I should say, not landscape, but streetscape where they put some of the parking signs and some of the artsy things, um, they have these loose bricks. Okay, loose bricks are nice and decorative, but guess what? Water gets in between loose bricks on the sidewalks and it seeps in. Where does it go? To the lowest point. Oh, is the corrugated steel below that sidewalk? Yes, it is. So where is it going to go? Onto the corrugated steel. What happens when water sits on corrugated steel? Right. Exactly. Good answer. It, it corrodes. It oxidizes. So these are things that I'm not sure that the cities who put in the streetcars and so forth thought about, but it's something that you need to take in consideration because um, contacting the city to repair something that they put in that they're, they're, they're not thinking about after it's already been done um, may need a little bit of attention. <clears throat> okay, so that's where keeping everything well sealed comes into place. Um, if, if you look at these, these properties, um, when it comes to um, renovating, when a project is started and a big renovation is done, you always do top down. So you always think about the roof. How old is the roof? This particular roof is about 13 years old, a TPO material, and still has tons of life left in it, plenty of life left in it. And then you think about all of the trim, the brickwork and so forth, and you think about replacing windows if they're not already replaced. Well, all of these do need to be replaced. They're all wooden, original, double-hung windows. Maybe this was a rooming house or maybe it was a hotel. Um, all those need to be replaced. And you can't just ignore around each window. When you, when you get these windows out, it's not like getting a metal window out, which a lot of pressure is put on. But at least with the wooden windows, you still have a lot of pressure put on. And there's going to be a lot of mortar that needs to be tuck pointed around there. So you really need to make sure you have a good team of... Um, concrete artisans, uh, technicians, whatever you want to call them, masons, and to make sure that hairline cracks and, and other things, um, especially on some of the decorative fronts, you have a lot of these tin awnings over some of the windows. And where those attach, those probably going to need to be sanded and repainted on the front. And then also um, have some remortaring as well to make sure no water gets in when those replacement windows are put in. Mostly downtown windows tend to be not vinyl, but the aluminum uh, heavy-duty double or triple pane windows for energy efficiency's sake are put in. Um, now, with this particular property, uh, you think about um, when you're inside, you think about, okay, so where, if you want to put an elevator in for convenience sake, where's that going to go? where are the supports up top and where's the machinery going to go and where's it going to be housed and how much does it weigh and where does that need to go these things need to be calculated as well do you need to have any municipal regulation uh, uh, for for putting in stairs do those exist and do you need to put one or more new sets of stairs in or are there enough stairs already check in with that with the city um, what about any handicapped um, uh, handicap access requirements, ADA requirements? <clears throat> are there enough of those? Um, those are things also needed to take into consideration. Okay, 
I I talked about the basements. So let's let's touch on that again. When we are in the basements, some things that we noted in addition to the corrugated steel on the front part facing uh, facing the uh, actual tracks for the streetcars, um, we did note that there were one water main. Okay, so that needs to be taken into consideration. Several electrical panels have been cut and terminated, but left in place. Some of those are no longer being used. Some of them are fused. Um, <clears throat> you also have to figure out, do any of those circuits leave from that um, occupant, that, that tenant, and are they supplying other areas of the building? That's something where you really need a good team of licensed electricians. And of course, the city inspections are going to be needed for these types of things. Um, and, and, and working with your architect to figure out what your renovation is going to require, how many tenants, how many meters are you going to need separately? And do you need to do any partitioning off of the old equipment? Or do you need to replace all of the old equipment? and then schedule some downtime for these tenants. What does that look like and how do you plan that? That's very important to take into consideration. Um, are there any vacancies that can be used first uh, for the street level tenants? Um, this particular property had at least two vacancies that could be scheduled, actually, actually one, I'll take that back, I'll say one. Not that it matters to the listeners here, but um, that one tenant can be, since it's vacant, can be used as a staging place to to do a lot of the uh, experimental work, uh, renovation, and then uh, you know finish them last and just use them as the staging area. So that might be a good advantageous thing. Heating and cooling. How do you deal with that? If you know how many tenants you're going to have after the renovation, then you need to perhaps, um, if there's no space to put air conditioners, and in a city setting, you have two choices. Either you have a patio outside that you put a cage around and you house them all. Of course, they do need to have enough space for air for each unit. And there are requirements that your commercial HVAC contractor will come up with for that, those space requirements. Or do they go on the roof? Okay, well, that isn't as easy as it sounds. You have to be able to put a, <clears throat> a crane, a small crane, uh, somewhere to enable to lift the units to put them on the roof, which also begs the question, can the roof hold the load? And you need, that's where your licensed structural engineer comes in. And are your roof members um, enough <clears throat> for that particular load or do you need to increase the supports for that um, to to be able to house that what types of systems do you want to use are you going to have combo furnace um, ac units or are you going to have ductless heat pump units or are you going to have individual ac units central ac units on a one-for-one furnace to to ac you know, uh, uh, central AC and gas burning um, 
furnace? Are you going to have those individual for each tenant? So those are decisions that you'll have to make and price those all out and the pros and cons of each. I do impress upon not assuming that the roof can handle the load, but to make sure you get those calculations put in place. And some of your elevator requirements, because that does tend to require a uh, bump-out elevator exit closet on the roof, and that may be needed as well. So those are things to take into consideration. One thing that I did not mention that is extremely important for the basements, and this is related to the plumbing, is making sure you have an experienced technician good with doing commercial property, uh, scoping the, the sewer lines to make sure that they use, those are all viable. And since we had several different tenants at this property, several different sewer lines, those sewer lines didn't match up one for one where exactly each tenant's basement was directly beneath it. <clears throat> that was something that had to be figured out. So um, you may have multiple different sewer lines to snake out. Um, there may even need to be a grease trap if you have uh, if you have a, a restaurant in one of them or some food different service. Uh, a grease trap is going to be required for that, and that may or may not be directly beneath the um, the restaurant vendor, the food vendor. In this particular case, it was not. It actually crossed over into another basement. So go figure. There's other stuff to figure out falling into that category of certain uncertainties and definite maybes. Okay, so definitely an adventure when you have a historical property. There are multiple things to take into consideration. Okay, Um, some logistical things that I will impress upon you that you don't ever want to take into, you don't want to assume is, oh, we have plenty of space for a full skid dumpster. Not necessarily. You really need to think about that. Where is it going to go? You certainly can't block a roadway with it. So there's there's permitting that is needed for that. Where can we put a crane if we need to put some AC units or rooftop uh, mechanicals, depending on whatever category it is, on the roof? Where does that go? Um permits for the lead, permits for the asbestos, permits for the demo, Um, parking, making sure that your calculations for how many tenants you're going to have, you have appropriate parking if if need, if that it lines up with the municipal requirements, and then also any ADA requirements. Those are things to take into consideration as well. Regardless of what you use the property for, what you're renovating. I truly hope that this episode has given you some useful information that perhaps maybe you didn't think about, but will now. And one other thing that is something that is on some properties, but not on all of them, and that is the fire escape. So what do you do with a fire escape that is on a building. Well, the worst thing you can do is just assume that it can just be be there and just stay like it is. That is not what you want to do with it. 
first of all, there are municipal requirements with them, okay? And there are also different ways that those were constructed. Some were using bolts, others were using welds. If something was welded on site outside, that is an uncontrolled environment. And sometimes those do have some uh, poor welds. There's also paint requirements for um, fire escapes. And then you also have to never assume that how it's attached to the building is going to be good because years go by, weathering happens, mortar goes bad, bricks crack, etc. So you really want to have a good inspector of that fire escape. And sometimes those fire escapes do cost several thousands of dollars to have uh, refurbished, restored to operating conditions so that somebody can actually use it in case there is a fire on the, on the higher floors to get out. Also, it is not allowed to install air conditioners on fire escapes. That is a no-no. So do not put that in your plan as where you're going to house some of the air conditioners. That's a no-no. Um, the fire escape needs to have a free and clear path for exiting, uh, easy access through windows to get on the fire escape, etc. Um, so that does need to be part of your plan if there is indeed a fire escape on the property. Then also, of course, check with municipalities as far as new construction or renovated construction on sprinkler requirements. And that definitely is a very large expense. Elevator and sprinkler system are going to be two very large expenses. Um, as you probably already know that, but I'm, I would be remiss if I didn't mention these things. So... I hope this has been very useful for you, and I wish you all well on happy investing, and I hope you can have fun with your property, uh, not have it be too stressful, and turn out to be a great investment for many years to come of good cash flow, and uh, hopefully good resale if you ever decide to sell your property. Um, this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie, and until uh, First Inspection Services... And that's spelled with the number one ST at the beginning and inspections is plural. Until our next episode, really thank you for listening.